All right, everybody, get ready for an incredible message this morning from our executive pastor, Tom Wood. Tom joined our team back in early May, and it's been incredible having him here with us. Type let's go in the chat if you're ready for this awesome word. Church, let's give a warm word of life welcome to Pastor Tom. Well, good morning. How are we rolling? Everyone feeling okay? I, I'm so glad to be able to be here. You know, um, why don't you go ahead, wave to somebody. I would normally say high five or something else, but definitely don't do that. Just wave at somebody. Say, I'm glad you're here. Say, if you weren't here, hey, what's going on? It wouldn't be the same if you weren't here. But, uh, and so I just want to make sure everyone knows, um, in, in Britain, where I come from, uh, when you're in church, you don't stay quiet. That may not be completely true. Let me rephrase. In churches I like in Britain, um, when you go to church, you don't stay quiet, okay? So if I say something that you like that kind of hits home with you, you go, oh, come on, somebody. You can give a good solid amen. You can say, preach it with an American accent. You can nudge your neighbor and say, that's definitely for you. But we are not a quiet church. Is, is everyone okay with this? All right. Oh, wow, that was pretty good. All right. Online, are we a quiet church? I guess only they know, but all right. Well, I'm delighted to be able to be here. Um, so Luke in the video, uh, so let everyone know. So my wife, Meg, and I, we moved up here earlier this year um, at possibly the craziest time to be able to move anywhere within the United States. Uh, but, but we knew that it was the right time. Uh, we could have stayed in New Jersey where we were, and we could have kind of waited this thing out, although how long, you know, who knows how long that would have been, and then kind of moved up here. But we knew that this was the right time to be. And I'll let you know that I'm delighted that we did. We came when we did. Did. Uh, we have been made to feel so welcome by the people of Word of Life Church. We have loved being here, and it has been great. And so I'm delighted to finally be able to come and be with some people in the room and be able to come and share something with you today. Um, despite all the crazy, here we are. We made it. We're in one piece, and we're ready for all that God's got ahead. Amen? You know, it, it's certainly no secret, uh, and it won't be a surprise to anybody as we kind of talk about, you know, the, the fact that here we are, 2020, um, I, I'm 100% confident that decades from now, we will look back on this time as being one of the strangest times in all of human history. Uh, I, I think, you know, we will identify that, you know, certainly in American culture, we will look back at this time as being a strange, strange time, and consequently, it's thrown up a lot of questions. It's caused a lot of pondering and a, a lot of cause to reflect and think about a few things, and as a church leader and as a Christian, you kind of start to think about you know, some of the bigger things. And, and there's a ginormous things that I think people are trying to wrestle through right now. Um, and some of them are, are really complicated stuff. But, you know, it's uh, one of the questions that did come up that I think is worthwhile and fits very well with the End Times uh, series that Pastor Randy started a few weeks ago um, is to start thinking about a question that came to me. And this question that I'm going to share with you in just a moment, but the question isn't either or. It, it, it's not something that, you know, there's multiple different ways to look at it. It's not necessarily a conversation. It's not, uh, you know, well, it depends on your perspective. It really is a yes or no answer. It is an either or answer to this question. And I want to pose the question to you, and I want to encourage you to think about this for yourself, and let this be a challenge, because it certainly is for me. But the question I have is, are the American church's best days behind us or in front of us? Think about this in the light of everything going on right now. The political climate right now is absolutely roller coaster wild. Culturally, all kinds of things are going on right now that has caused the, the, the culture, the environment, society, your neighborhood, my neighborhood to be absolutely wild right now. And yet are the American church's best days in front of us or behind us? Have we peaked as a church? 
in the United States? Have we seen our best days? Have we already hit the most fruitfulness, the good stuff that is ever going to happen? It is in front of us or is it behind us? Have we already experienced God's very best for America? And right now, until we wait for Jesus to return, when he does, he's going to find the American church, a church that is struggling, that is hobbling along, that is just trying to fight to get to the finish line. Or is he going to come back for a church in the United States that is having the best time they've ever had, that is seeing God move in ways that we never thought possible? And this is a question I feel, and I'm going to be honest, I think it would be real easy to look at the church today, to look at society today, look at culture today, and to be able to say, you know what? Yes, our best days are behind us. But I don't know if that, <laughs> I don't believe that's from the Lord. And I think if we were to ask ourselves and put it in this frame, if we were to think, you know, what would please the Lord and what would please the enemy? Would it please the Lord for us to think to ourselves, you know what? Our best days are ahead or our best days are behind us? Would it please the enemy if we were as a church were to think to ourselves, you know what, our best days are ahead or our best days behind us. I'm 100% confident that the Lord would want us to know, you know what, good days are coming. Days where the churches are going to be packed with people that want to know me. Churches are going to be packed with people that know that I'm the only place where you can find hope. But the enemy would want to say to you and he'd want to say to me and he'd want to say to our church and churches all over this country, you've had your best days. The shine's worn off. There's not much left I can do with you. That is a lie that I hope we can correct today. And as we started this end time series a few weeks ago, it was done and I really love the approach that we've taken. It's, it's with end time stuff, it's very complicated. Some people have some incredibly strong feelings about it and there's different ways to approach this as a, as a way of interpreting what the Bible has to say and how we should apply that to our lives. And it, it kind of feels like myself and Pastor Randy, if we've approached this, it's with the idea of, you know, the Lord can return at any moment. We don't know when and we can't make a promise, but he can return. How should we live a life of faith with the, ever, with the understanding that he can come at any moment? What does it mean to live as a believer with the idea that the Lord can return at any moment? And there is, a, 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 I guess you would say, a, an idea or a thought that has come out and has been um, preached in churches for a long, long time that there is going to be an end time harvest an end time harvest. And the thought behind this is that as we move closer to the Lord's return, that he is going to do dramatic, remarkable things, that there is going to be an incoming of people that are going to come to know him in an unprecedented way. Unlike anything else we've seen in the past 2,000 years since the resurrection, we have not seen anything like this. And the uh, verse that has already been shared as part of this series, Matthew 24, 14, the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The good news preached throughout the whole world, every nation will get a chance to hear before the end comes. And the book of Revelation, and many of you will know this, and some of you may not, but the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible as we have it today, and uh, it's, it's filled with vivid imagery it's filled with uh, sort of almost poetic language to describe uh, how, do we, how to live a life expecting the Lord's return. And it paints all these kinds of very vivid pictures. In lots of ways, it's a very complicated book. For anyone that's interested, possibly the best and quickest resource I've found regarding the book of Revelation is by a group of people called The Bible Project. Um, anybody familiar with Bible Project online? Anyone Bible Project? Um, they have these videos on YouTube that are absolutely fantastic. And they did a two-part series, I think collected, if you put the Two videos together, it's about 20 minutes. Fantastic, definitely worth your time, but I would say they've done an excellent job of doing an overview of the book of Revelation. But in that book, 
John uh, writes a vision, very unique vision that he had from God about how the end times are going to unfold, about how this life and how we're to live and how we're to be encouraged and how we're to, to navigate this and the signs that we should be wary of. And in lots of ways, it's very complicated, but I want to hit on this thought of the end time harvest. And it comes from Revelation 14, starting in chapter 14. Then I saw a white cloud, and sitting on the cloud was someone like the Son of Man. This is talking about Jesus. He had a gold crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Then another angel came from the temple and shouted to the one sitting on the cloud, swing the sickle for the time of harvest has come. The crop on earth is ripe. So the one sitting on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the whole earth was harvested. And this scripture builds on uh, something Jesus started in the Gospels where he would use the idea of harvest as representing people coming to know him, as people getting saved, as people uh, coming to connect with the kingdom of God in a life-changing way. He would use this imagery of harvest and it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. But this picture that we got is that God is going to do something unprecedented, unlike anything we've seen before. As we get closer to the end times, that we are going to see people packing Bible-preaching churches all over the world. And I believe that for the United States, we should grab onto this. And so we don't believe the lie of the enemy that our best days are behind us. But we grab a hold of this and say, no, there is a promise that our best days are ahead. That there are best days ahead for us. The church's most fruitful days are coming. The church's most fruitful days are coming, and I believe this worldwide. I believe it for this nation. I believe it for every church in the New York area, but I would say for us as a church, we need to grab a hold of this. The church's most fruitful days are coming. Word of life's most fruitful days are coming. We have history to celebrate. We have good things that we should celebrate. We have good things that we should use as motivation to keep going and pressing on and look back on to reflect on God's faithfulness, but never ever lose sight that the best days are still in front of us. God is not done with us. God has not fulfilled his plan. We know this is true because he hasn't returned yet. His plan is not fulfilled because he has not returned yet. And my belief and my conviction that I want to share with you, and I hope that you'll go with me on this, but I believe that as we get closer to these end times, as we get closer to the impending return of Christ, we don't know when it is, but I know it's closer this week than it was last week. Come on, somebody. But as we get closer, I believe that what we're going to see in churches and what I believe we're going to see here is that there is going to be a rise in the passion of believers. I believe that believers are going to be so filled with passion for the things of the kingdom that we're not going to settle for mediocrity Christianity anymore. We're not going to want to play church games anymore. We're not going to want to flirt with our faith anymore. We're going to be all in and we are going to go for it with God. We are going to see a rise in the passion among God's people. I want to share with you, um, there's an Old Testament story I'd like to share with you, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go to in just a moment. Uh, it's about the prophet Elijah, and my oldest son's called Elijah, so anytime I talk about him, I always have a little, aw, moment. <laughs> but I'm going to take a moment, we're going to look at the story of the prophet Elijah, and if you know the, the, the Old Testament well, you'll know that Elijah, probably the key moment that Elijah had was a showdown on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel was a mountain in Israel, and the king at the time, King Ahab, he was possibly, if you were going to measure it pound for pound, he was possibly the worst king in all of Israel's history. He was into idolatry, he'd given into his wife, and she was in all sorts of different colors of crazy, and he, they'd led the country to places they never ever should have gone, it was never God's plan for them, they were worshiping false idols, all kinds of crazy stuff was happening, child sacrifice was happening, it was just an awful evil time in the nation of Israel, and Elijah stood up and said, okay, we're going to lay down some ground rules right here, we're going to take care of some business right now. 
And so Elijah gathered all the prophets of the, the false god that they were worshiping at the time. He invited all the people of Israel. King Ahab was there, and he threw down a challenge. And I want to read this to you, and there's more to the story, but these, these verses are the ones that I want to hit on right now. 1 Kings 18.20. So Ahab, that's the king, summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? How much longer are you going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that? How much longer are you going to be gung-ho, passion, and faith? And how much longer are you going to be kind of, sort of, interested in what God's doing in your life? How much longer are you going to just sort of flirt with one or flirt with the other? And how much longer are you going to do a little bit over here and then look? Why are you doing this? How much longer are you going to attend this time being not passionate about your faith, not passionate about what God has done in your life, not passionate about what God has done in your history? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. If God is God, why on earth would we ever follow him half-heartedly? If, if God is God, if the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you, and that he would raise again from the dead three days later, conquering the power of sin and death once and for all, why on earth would we treat that as casual? I, 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 I'm, I'm struggling to think it, but you know what? I believe as we get to the end times, Christians are going to address that thought head on, and they're going to say, you know what? I'm going to live faithful for God. I'm going to live passionate for the things of God. I'm going to live with kingdom priorities. Come on, at home, let's get an amen. We are going to live on fire for what God is doing. And I, I don't think I could do this accurately, but if I was going to try and put myself in Elijah's shoes and imagine him that day, I wonder, you know, the way that his intention of there's the crowd, there's the nation of Israel there, and he's saying, come on, you know that God is who he says he is. You know the promises that were made to your ancestors. You know that he has good plans for you. Why are you doing this? And if you're saying this Baal mumbo jumbo is right, why are you even bothering to flirt with God? But you know that he's for real. You know that he loves you. I truly believe that this passion, this passion is going to keep rising up in the believers. I believe that we're going to be a generation, and if you're alive today, you are part of this generation, that this generation is going to be a generation that is done with playing in the middle. We are done hobbling between two opinions. We are done playing church games. We are just going to be passionate about who Jesus is, what he's done in our lives, and the promises that he's made us. That's what I believe about this generation of believers. But C.S. Lewis, very famous author, I'm sure a number of you are familiar with some of his stuff, Chronicles of Narnia, if nothing else. But C.S. Lewis wrote this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And this has always been true. This has always been true, but I, tr I, I hope, my hope is that as we get closer, we will see this come to pass, and we will see a heightened passion for the things of God in the hearts of believers. And if we take this seriously, and if this is true, then I believe that that passion, it won't be a surface level excitement. Right now, I'm at the point where my kids' birthdays are coming up, and so I know a little thing about excitement right now. But excitement is temporary. 
Excitement is depending on what's happening around you. Excitement is depending on circumstances. Excitement is, is, is something that's fleeting. It comes and it goes, but passion is deep. Passion is sincere. Passion is not affected by seasons. Passion carries you through seasons. And the kind of passion that I see happening in the lives of believers as we get closer to the end times is a passion that transforms our hearts so that we truly start to adopt the Father heart of God. I remember um, when I was in Bible college, Megan and I, we met in Bible college. I left the UK to go to Australia. Megan left Montana and we met down under and uh, we just had a, a group of friends. I lived in a house with guys. Megan lived in a house of girls and we would just hang out. Um, it was super cool. Um, three marriages came out of those two houses. Something in the water. But when we were down there, there was a really popular song at the time. Some of you will know it. It's a Hillsong song called Hosanna. And there's a line in the song that says, break my heart for what breaks yours. I know you want me to sing it. <laughs> break my heart for what breaks yours. All right. I am never singing in church again. All right. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Adopt that father heart of God as that passion that we have for what Jesus did for us on the cross thousands of years ago. Moved with the passion that God is doing something in these last days. Moved that God, this end times, it is closer this week than it was last week. This passion just transforming our hearts so that we start to adopt and we start to take on the father heart of God. And I wrote this down, it's not in your notes, it's not going to be on the screen, but as I wrote this down late last night, it really sort of touched me. Revival isn't just people flowing into church, but love, grace, compassion, and kindness flowing out of the church. Revival isn't just people flowing into church. It's not just about filling empty seats. It's not just about being able to count the numbers of people that have made a decision, but revival is the love, grace, compassion, and kindness flowing out of the church as God transforms my heart and your heart towards the people that he came to die for. It is gonna flow, and as we're part of this end time harvest, I believe that the church is gonna be flowing with the love of God. We're gonna be extending the grace and the kindness and the compassion that God has shown to us. A very well-known uh, story that Jesus shared in Luke 15 about the prodigal son. And there was, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, Jesus is sharing a story about, uh, there's two brothers. The younger one was an absolute snot. And he wanted the father's money, he wanted the father's blessing, and then he wanted to live as if the father wasn't alive. He wanted his inheritance now. I want to live my life as if you were dead. And he takes the money, takes the inheritance, and he goes and he lives big, only to find out that the world makes promises it has no intention of keeping. And he gets to the point where I've come to, and I know many of you have come to, of like, what on earth am I doing? It's time to go home. It's time to go back to the father. And it says this in Luke 15, verse 20. So he returned home to the Father. This is a picture of God as you, me, people who don't know him yet, as they come home. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And the story goes on to tell us that restores the son back to a position of sonship within the house. And what would happen if passionate Christians everywhere had the Father's heart for people who are seeking answers, 
If Christians everywhere had the Father's heart for people that are looking for hope and looking for healing and looking for restoration and looking for, for freedom from the past, the baggage that they've picked up along the way, people that are locked in addictions, what if they came in here and they met people that were filled with love and compassion, ready to see them restored? What about if teenagers that are lost in sexual identity, they come in here and they find a people that are filled with love and compassion, ready to see them restored? What about if single moms that are fighting to make it through another day come in here and meet people that are filled with love and compassion? What about adult children that are far from God right now? They come into church buildings and they meet people that are filled with love and compassion, just like the prodigal son saw that from the father, as our hearts are transformed in this passionate times. They're transformed to show his heart towards them. And we cannot help but show love and compassion to anyone and everyone that needs to connect with the Father. Is it all right if I take a drink break? Megan says I'm noisy when I drink, so I guess you guys will find out. That's pretty quiet, right? One more. So we've been complaining about. All right. I got a friend of mine. I would even go as far as to say he's one of my very best friends, very close to this guy. And um, when we were living in New York City a number of years ago, uh, we, we were running a, a, a life group. And in comes this guy, first time, and he's about 30 years old, and he's just beaming. And when I say beaming, I mean like a human pinball machine. Like he's just, just wide-eyed wonderment. And I got to know this guy, and like I say, he is, as of today, he's one of my very best friends, and I got to hear his story and, um, for years. You know, he would say 12, 13 years, he was a drug addict. In his late teenage years, he started to get involved with drugs, he got involved with dealing and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, addictions are evil. They cause people to do things they would never normally do if they weren't locked up in that stuff. And he would got caught stealing money from an old lady who was renting him a room above her garage. He'd hocked his parents' wedding rings and all sorts of really just awful things. And he got to a point where he decided that he was done with the drugs, he was done with it, and he reached out to the one Christian that he knew. And the Christian that he knew sent him to the church that Meg and I were a part of in New York City. And he walks into this church and he met a bunch of people that were passionate for Jesus. He met a bunch of people who that passion had just caused them to just show the love and grace and kindness of God to him. And he never thought possible. And when he stepped into that church that day, not only did he meet some wonderful godly people that helped him figure out, I don't have to keep living the way that I'm living, but he encountered the presence of the living God. The presence of the living God. I don't think it's possible to exaggerate just how amazing that is, that the creator of the universe, the one that put the stars in the sky, the one who decided just how grand the Grand Canyon needed to be, he met that guy that day. And the, the story right now is, I mean, the ending of the story is awesome. He's a pastor right now. He's married. He's doing really great. And uh, it, it's a great, great story. But he met with God that first Sunday that he stepped foot into church. He met with God. And it reminds me of uh, another New Testament story. This is in the life of Jesus in John 4. Jesus is in Samaria, which he wasn't supposed to do because there was incredible racial and religious bigotry going on at the time, and Jewish people and Samaritans did not like each other, but he went there anyway because, side note, Jesus is about breaking down bigotry barriers. 
He spoke with a woman. That was another no-no because he's a man. He's supposed to maintain his religious front. But how many of you know Jesus is about breaking down religious barriers too? And not only that, but this woman also had a reputation around town for being fast and loose with the gentleman. But Jesus loved her anyway. Jesus gave her hope anyway. And as Jesus is talking to this lady, it's a fantastic story. You can read about it, John 4, this afternoon. But as Jesus spoke with her, he gave her hope. And he told her that there's a new way that she can go through life. And this woman's life was transformed. So she goes back to the village, the village where just moments earlier she would have been dreading going to because she was considered an outcast. But she goes back there and says, you will never guess what happened to me. You'll never guess about this Jewish guy I just met at the well. You will never get, and tells them the story and the people start to get interested. The people start to get, hold up, what do you mean? And they start to get interested. I want to share this with you, uh, John 4, 42. They come to meet Jesus themselves. They have some time with him. They hear from him and they say this, verse 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. We have heard him ourselves. We met him ourselves. We had an encounter with him ourselves. We had a life-changing moment with him ourselves. We experienced his presence ourselves. We came, we met him, we saw him, and now we can never ever be the same. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And one of the things that was important for me, Megan, and the family was, as we came here is that we wanted a church that, that understood how vital it is that worship is presence-driven, that we come here and we invite the presence of God to invade this room, that God is going to move. And this was vital for us. Vital. And the truth is, the, the talent that we have, uh, the incredible worship team, um, we could sing songs and it would sound pretty great. But singing songs isn't going to change anybody's life. But when this same team, they have a posture and they have an attitude of worship filled with the passion of God. And this room jam-packed with people that is moved with that father heart of God, compassionate to those people that the Lord is bringing home. And they come and they're able to step into God's presence. Lives cannot help but be changed and transformed. If people set foot in here and they experience the presence of God, we're not just singing songs, we're encouraging the presence of God to rest in this place. At home, people are checking in and they're getting along with the worship and something happens in the living room that they didn't bargain for. The presence of God turns up and transformed everything. I believe as we get close to these end days that the Lord is gonna bring in a harvest. And when people come in, Anybody and everybody, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of things that people have got, whether people are guilty, whether they're victims of other people's uh, incredible awfulness, people are going to come in and they're going to feel that there is a sense of peace here, that they're able to come and they're able to meet with God, not just because the worship sounds awesome, but because it is inviting the presence of God in here. We have never... We have never, in America or anywhere else, experienced the end time harvest like I believe the Lord is going to bring, like what we read from that uh, verse in Revelation. We have not seen this. People are going to turn up. It's going to be messy. People that don't know church etiquette are going to turn up, and it's going to be messy. People that don't know when you're supposed to sit, stand, what you're supposed to sing, what you're supposed to wear are going to fill this building, and I can't wait. I can't wait. If you want neat and tidy, go for religion. 
If you want grace, expect the mess. Let's pause for a moment. This isn't planned, but I want to just pause for a moment. And I want you to think about the people you know, the people you love, the people you care about that are a million miles away from Jesus right now. I want you to think about my friend Steve, and I want you to think about uh, the people in his life. He's a drug-addicted 30-year-old looking at some criminal charges, looking at felony criminal charges, in and out of jail. Nobody would have guessed that guy would connect with Jesus. Who are those people that you love desperately that you would never guess, you would never expect? They are too far. They are too far gone. God is done with them. Come on, let's pray that we start getting some truth. So I still got more to share, and I know we don't normally stop in messages to pray, but I feel like this is a good moment. So would you pray with me? Let's not just pray because we're in church and we're supposed to. Let's pray because we believe that God's in the business of answering prayer. Amen. Lord, for those people represented here today, for everyone online, this is for you too. For people that uh, we may love that seem so far from you, people that we would give up on, Lord, we believe that you haven't given up on them. Lord, as we believe that you are bringing people home in an end time harvest in an unprecedented way, in a completely unique way, like never before, in the volumes that we've never even heard of before, Lord, I pray that we would have the hope that you are gonna impact and influence even those people. Lord, we pray that you prepare our hearts, Lord, that in us, you would rise up a passion. In us, Lord, you would transform our hearts so that we have the Father heart towards people. Lord, that we welcome the presence of God to transform people's lives in a way that we never, ever could. But you can, Lord. Lord, we lift this up to you. Oh, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for indulging me with that. I appreciate it a lot. But something that um, I'd encourage you to write down. This is a good reminder for you and for me. I believe this. Everybody wants Jesus, even if they don't know it. Everybody wants Jesus, even if they don't know it. And you may push back at that and say, well, how can you make such an absolute universal generalization that everybody wants Jesus, even if they don't know it? The reason I feel confident that I can say everybody wants Jesus, even if they don't know it, is because everybody wants hope. Everybody wants forgiveness. Everybody wants to know that their past doesn't have to determine their future. Everybody wants to feel that the hurts and the pains that they've been through can be healed. Everybody wants to feel like their life matters. And I know that the only place you can find that is in Him. Everybody wants Jesus, even if they don't know it. And the prophet Haggai, he wrote this in the Old Testament, that the future glory of this house, this house, online, this house, the future glory of this house will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord. And I believe that's a word for every church in America. That all the good testimonies that you have, all the breakthroughs that you've experienced, all the miracles that you've encountered, all the ways that God has answered prayers, all the people that have come to know Jesus, sometimes in very dramatic ways, sometimes very, very straightforward ways. I don't know, but all of that is awesome. But the greater things are to come. There is more ahead. And I've got a very simple question. I normally find it's helpful as, you know, in a message to have a couple of questions to encourage people to reflect on and pray about during the week. And today I've just got one, one question. 
And this week, I hope you take some time and you pray about it. And my hope is that if you grab a hold of this and you take a hold of the challenge that you'll approach faith differently, you'll approach church differently. My question is simply this, what are you expecting? What are you expecting? Are you expecting that the church's best days are behind us? Are you expecting the next Sunday is gonna be just another Sunday? Are you expecting that next week we're going live, we have full worship, are you expecting it's gonna be just another worship set? When somebody makes a decision, is it just another hand that went up? What are you expecting? The same time harvest, are you expecting that it's coming soon? Are you expecting that we need to be ready for the masses of people that the Lord is gonna bring in here, that the Lord is gonna bring into Bible preaching churches all over this state, all over this country? Are we expecting that? Or if we let that lie sneak in the back door, that we're expecting it's just another Sunday? Have we got ourselves out of the middle and got ourselves passionate, just like Elijah threw down on Carmel? Are we done between kinda, sorta, not at all? And we're going, yes, I wanna follow Jesus with everything. Are we letting the passion that God's springing up in us transform our hearts so that we have the Father heart towards people that are coming in here? Are we ready and expecting and praying for the presence of God to dwell in this building like never before? In these last days, in this end times, as we get ready for an end time harvest, I believe that these are some things that are gonna help us as we get ready for all that God's planning on doing. I shared a verse with you from Revelation 14. And the New Testament talks a lot about be wary of false teachers and be wary of people that will teach things just to cheer you up and will sound good to you. And I certainly don't wanna be accused of that. And in good conscience, I couldn't read to you the first portion from Revelation without reading to you the portion I'm about to read. I'm gonna to read to you Revelation 14, 17. This is after the harvest that Jesus came to bring. This is after that harvest, we read this. After that, another angel came from the temple in heaven and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel who had power to destroy with fire came from the altar he shouted to the angel with the sharp sickle, swing your sickle now to gather the cluster of grapes from the vines of the earth, for they are ripe for judgment. So the angel swung his sickle over the earth and loaded the grapes into the great winepress of God's wrath. The grapes were trampled in the winepress outside the city and blood flowed from the winepress in a stream about 180 miles long and as high as a horse's bridle. Now, let me tell you, and this might not be the correct answer, but it's the truth. I don't like this Bible verse. This doesn't fill me with joy. I wish this wasn't a reality. I wish it wasn't the truth. But it is. And I would be lying to you if I would just tell you that Jesus is coming and he's bringing a great harvest and then not tell you that there are some people that will say no to the gospel. There are some people that will say, you know what, I'm, I'm not interested in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I hate it. I wish it was, I don't like thinking that this is the eternity that some people will choose. I hate it. My friends, I wanna tell you today, on home, at home, I wanna let you guys know, this is not God's will for you. Facing that judgment is not God's will for you. He came, he came and brought in a harvest. That's the harvest he wants you, me, and anybody and everybody else to be a part of. It is not his will that you be a part of this. 
But there are some that will reject the message. I want to read this verse to you from 2 Peter. This is a verse that's addressing the end times thought. And there was uh, rumors and murmuring at the time that, uh, you know, hey, we're talking about the second coming, but this has taken a while. This is 2,000 years ago. Yeah, it's taken a while. But Peter writes this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He's being patient with you. He's extending opportunity to you. He's extending a chance to you. He's giving you a chance to respond to the message because he doesn't want you to have to suffer that second, that second harvest, that second judgment that's coming. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. It breaks God's heart that anybody would choose to push him away. But he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to transform their heart towards him, to come to know him in a life-changing way, to have their relationship with God healed. That's the will of God. You know, before we close up service today, I really wanna put to you, if, if this is you, if I were to ask you honestly right now, are you strong in faith? Are you living life for God? Are you following Him? Maybe you get uncomfortable. Maybe you're like, ah, kind of, sort of. Maybe you'd kind of be in that camp that Elijah was addressing. You know, well, you know, sometimes and ah, it's good for Sunday, but ah, it doesn't really affect my Wednesday afternoon. I, I don't know, but you know what? I want you to know the Father heart of God towards you and towards the people you care about and the people that you absolutely despise. His heart for you is that you don't face that second judgment. His heart is that people get wrapped up and caught up in that first harvest that we read about a few moments ago. And you may be here today and this may be hitting home for you and you may be crazy uncomfortable right now. But I wanna pray for you because if this is the moment where you say, you know what, I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be done with my life behind me. I wanna be done with my past. I wanna follow him with everything. I don't have all the answers, but I'm ready. I'd love to pray for you. And if you believe that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, and you believe he went to the cross for you and for me, and if you believe that three days later he rose again, if you believe that he is the son of God, you have run out of excuses to wait another day. This is the best time possible for you to start following him with everything. I'm gonna pray in just a moment and I'm gonna invite everyone here. If you're a Christian and you're confident that you're following Jesus, I want you to pray for people that maybe need to pray this for the first time. For the words that can be on the screen and after I pray, I wanna invite you to repeat after me. And I believe wholeheartedly from my personal experience in my own life 17 years ago, as well as many, many other people that I've had the privilege to be able to pray this with, pray like this changes things. At home, a prayer like this changes things. You pray a prayer like this, believing that there's a power for God to get involved, things start to change. So come on, everybody, would you pray with me? Again, the words are on the screen. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed a prayer like that for the first time, and if you did, I believe that life change is happening right now. And I hope that your experience here at the church is that you met a bunch of passionate Christians that are ready to show that compassion and that love that we read about from the father and the prodigal son and that you encountered the presence of God here today. Man, following Jesus is the greatest decision I've ever made. Anybody else agree with that? A word of life, I hope. Amen. A word of life, I hope there was something helpful here for you today. I hope there was something that brought an encouragement, maybe gave some vision about what God is doing. But I hope that we would be full of expectancy. Amen? Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Pastor Tom.